welcome to the BoomerCast. I am B, and this is a nostalgia podcast where I cover episodes of cartoons I grew up with, and then I compare it against what I went through as a kid. Today, we talk about D.W. the Copycat, one of my former favorites when this first came out, which is Locked in the Library, and Arthur Accused. Arthur does get a little harsh in this episode because he wonders how great it would be if his little sister D.W. was like the brain, or like his favorite superhero, or if she was a donkey. Yeah, buddy, that's a little harsh, but I'm not going to say that I'm a big fan of D.W. either. In the comments section of YouTube, which is where I rewatch these episodes, I have yet to see someone who says they even remotely like D.W. Fair enough, she's a perpetual four-year-old who will turn five twice in the whole series so far. There are going to be things that are annoying for four, that a four-year-old and five-year-olds will do, just as there are annoying things that nine-year-olds will do, according to the high schoolers who love to hang out with them, or actually, rather, would have to hang out with them. That context will be explained in a later episode. Arthur whines to his mom about D.W. coloring in what I think is either a textbook or a library book, or maybe one of those French-English dictionaries he's into, and he continues to whine after the title card about how bored he is. His only option, other than playing by himself, is to play with D.W. because Jane is too busy with Kate and David is busy with his catering service. You know, for two adults who have the privilege of working from home, you'd think they would show more playtime with the parents and the older kids, other than what's shown here in this particular episode. But what do I know? I'm apparently a helicopter parent. Anyways, after an argument ensues about baseball, D.W. gets the idea that if she acts like Arthur, that her brother would play with her more often then. I've emulated or copied my sister sometimes when I was younger, and I'd like to think they initially inspired me to write, and I still do write my own cringy fantasy. I'll just leave it on Tumblr, and might put it in fluff pieces if any of you guys are interested. So DW eats her brother's preferred foods, watches his favorite TV shows, ends up oddly dressing like him, and even sports some similar glasses, just without the lenses. It becomes flattering at first for Arthur, until his friends find out and they start to give him crap about D.W., his little shadow. And Arthur can't find a way to shake off D.W., and he isn't invited to Muffy's house because of it, because they think that D.W. will be there. He even asks his parents if they could just abandon D.W., but again, this is just one of a handful of times that they do this. His mom suggests that Arthur talk to D.W. and just tell him the truth. Or tell her the truth, rather. And so he does just that. He tells her what that he knows that she doesn't like the things that she likes and that she needs to cut it out. But not without D.W. giving him a slice of humble pie, because in the beginning she was told that she only liked baby things and Arthur liked the interesting things. And after getting that little confession from Arthur, D.W. feels satisfied enough to take off the Arthur uniform and go back to her pink dress with the white sleeves. Now, Locked in the Library used to be one of my favorite episodes when this series first came out, mainly because it would have been awesome to have been locked in the library. Then I came to my senses. 
Arthur holds Buster and Francine in such high regard that all I can say is, is there anything better? Francine is sometimes portrayed, at least in the earlier seasons, as a bully, and because of her overly competitive attitude, I really don't see how she made friends, let alone retained them. She's pretty resilient, and in some instances, she's not afraid to stand her ground, particularly if she's up against someone she knows she can take down. She's essentially the tomboy of the group, until LaDonna Compson comes up and shows up later on, and it's thanks to her dad, who I think, just as an aside, I think he wanted a son, but since he got two daughters, he treated Francine more like the son he was never going to have. Francine is made to be a lifelong friend to Arthur, and we see them as, I'm guessing, either four or five years old when they first meet. The weird thing is that it's insinuated that the Frenskys, which is Francine's family, were neighbors of the Reeds, who's Arthur's family. So either the Reeds managed to move up in life enough to buy their own house, or the Frenskys got downgraded to apartments, or both the Reeds and the Frenskys just make about the same income, and Oliver Frensky, who's Francine's dad, is just a bit more frugal with his money. I mean, why not? With that rant aside, Arthur tells the audience that Francine is the most loyal of his friends, just as Francine is yelling at him because he called her a marshmallow. Part of me wants to see what this marshmallow outfit looked like. If it looked anything close to the so-called sheepdog sweater that Sue Ellen was wearing, yeah, he deserves to get his butt kicked. Arthur then gets a threat delivered by a paper airplane in class. A paper airplane that apparently Mr. Ratburn just didn't notice, though he did notice Buster jumping out of his chair. It's then that Ratburn announces yet another homework assignment about heroes and heroines, and we get some shipping ideas, or at least of who would most likely be a couple. Sue Ellen and Binky, which will make sense in a later episode. Buster and Muffy, which again has some correlation because Arthur and Francine are paired up. And Buster and Muffy are their best friends, respectively. We then cut to later in the afternoon as Arthur walks in on DW's telephone conversation with Francine. To which, I guess Francine wanted to vent her frustrations to a perpetual four-year-old, but whatever, I guess. Before D.W. hangs up the phone, she tries to divulge what Arthur looks like in his PJs, but regardless, passes along the message to her brother that Francine will meet him at the library. But they are essentially doing their own oral reports, since Francine does not want to talk to Arthur. It's a weird moment of realization about schoolyard quarrels and bullying, in my opinion, especially when it comes to the later seasons, where bullying is handled so... So very clunkily, in my opinion. Here we have two kids who are having beef with each other, and at least one of them is willing to lower her guard to get the homework done instead of, I don't know, report to the teacher that some kid called her a marshmallow? Now granted, this show has shown, through different kids, how they handle bullying and whatnot. Francine just doesn't let it bother her to the point where she feels the need to move classes or where her mental health is in critical condition. Some kids can't handle it, whether it's a passing insult or something that the perpetrator keeps harassing them about, and I'd argue that some adults can't handle it either. Saturday afternoon rolls around, and Arthur goes to meet Francine at the library. 
Now, Miss Turner, who's obliviously oblivious, whatever, to the kids' attention, or the kids' tensions, she just splits them up into different floors of the library. Oh, wait. Maybe she did clue in on it. Maybe she wasn't so obliviously oblivious. So, good call then. So, before Arthur and Francine split up, we're reminded about the hours of the library. And considering that it was a Saturday, I was just kind of surprised that it closed so early. Especially if that's the only resource these kids have for reports at the time. Remember, we aren't given context as to if Lakewood Elementary has its own library. But we... But if we are to believe that Arthur and Francine are just now thinking about who to report on, I don't think they had that asset to begin with. It's then we get to the namesake of the title. Because while Francine is engrossed in her Walkman, and Arthur just straight up falls asleep, the library closes with the announcement over the PA system. Now remember, this is around the late 90s, so things were very lax back then, and we can also presume that Elwood is some sort of small town, so there's a notion that everyone kind of knew what to do and what not to do, like make sure you wake up in time to book it out of the library before the doors lock in, or to not check for people who are asleep, or homeless folks who are using the library as a temporary shelter, or kids that just forget the time. Or maybe Miss Turner is Literally the only staff of the library. But I digress. Arthur wakes up a little after five, and he goes to check the book out, but he sleepily realizes that the library is darker, more empty, and... Oh yeah, it's closed. He also finds Francine is locked up inside with him as well, and before fellow DeviantArt fans or fanfiction.net try to scoop this ship up, remember these two are in third grade. And they are scared out of their minds right now because they are locked inside of a library on a Saturday. Which means that if their family isn't going to show their concerns and call the cops, they aren't leaving that place until Monday. And after trying to get out through the window, while possibly damaging several dozen books, and finding out that the one book that could help them is checked out, the phone rings and Francine picks it up to hear the familiar voice of her friend, Muffy. However, Muffy is neck deep in her entitlement, and instead of trying to listen to Francine's call for help, she just hangs up the phone because she thinks she dialed the wrong number. I mean, who does that? What able-bodied person calls the library to ask the librarian to deliver the books to them? I know there are outliers, but Muffy is the rich kid. Why doesn't Bailey do it? After another argument, Arthur and Francine go their separate ways to wait it out until Monday. But a scream seems to cancel out the feud against Francine, and Arthur is genuinely scared for her. He then finds the source of the screaming, and it's the staff room, and he sees Francine watching some horror film while chowing down on the food that was left in the break room, some of which includes pizza. They end up enjoying some more of the movie and food until D.W. walks in followed by Miss Turner, the Reeds, and the Frenskys. And I guess they needed Sunday to calm down from that traumatic experience because when they tell their stories on Monday before school, they completely forget that they had the oral report due today. Or due that Monday, rather. Luckily, they learned a lesson on heroism that Saturday, and they stroked each other's ego for their oral presentation. And though Mr. Ratburn was a bit disappointed that he didn't get a report on heroism from them, 
He lets them make it up for the day, which was the typical protocol for many of my teachers in elementary school, even with Miss Payne and Miss White. So, because I'm a bit tired of covering the last half of, like, episode G and then the first half of episode H in the series, I just wanted to cover the last half of episode 6 in this podcast, which is called Arthur Accused. Now, Arthur Accused, because of the overall flow of this episode, this actually makes this in one of my top 10 favorites. The pre-title card sequences of Arthur just bored in detention. Yeah, eat your heart out, those of you with high standards of this kid. He is no angel because he has detention. Okay, in all seriousness, I, I didn't have detention, but I did have to stay in ISS in high school, mainly because I kept forgetting my high school ID. And few of my teachers didn't really like that. I wasn't exactly the star student, but they never really gave me the ISS assignments. They just said I should read a book, and I did, and it was called Into the Land of the Unicorns twice. ISS, for further context, is stood for in-school suspension, and it was basically like all-day detention during the school day. There was even a classroom with about 10 or 12 cubicle-style desks so nobody could see or talk to each other, and everyone's backs faced the teacher who was on ISS duty. And usually it was one of the football coaches, but I'm not sure if ISS still exists to this day, but it was an alternative to Saturday school. Anyways, Arthur's boredom is interrupted when he hears kids chanting his name from outside of the door. But before we can get the context, we cut to the title card. We then cut to the sequence after the title card. Arthur is helping Mrs. McGrady, the school cafeteria lady, raise money for the firefighters to get a puppy, and he has a small stand near the lockers advertising for it. Not sure if this was his own idea, or if he got roped into it, but he's filled a goldfish jar full of quarters for the cause. And after getting a quarter from Binky, Arthur is met by his best friend Buster, who invites him to go to the arcade. And if you want to hear about my side hustle, as far as fundraising goes for my own causes, feel free to check out the second fluff piece or fluff content piece that I have on this podcast. Buster is in another getup, which this time it's his detective outfit. Apparently, this guy's new obsession is mystery solving, and he divulges the only bit of news that he was able to uncover, which is the school picnic. It's pretty easy information to find, as there are posters, like, everywhere. Arthur drops off the quarters to Mrs. McGrady, but she's a bit busy on the phone, so he thinks nothing of it and just goes to the arcade. It's here that we meet Bitsy Baxter, Buster's overprotective mom, who apparently has enough time in her busy day as the newspaper editor to make sure her son doesn't get hurt from the magnifying glass he's carrying. But Arthur breaks the pinball record, and Buster is just so stoked about it. He even brags about it at school the next day. But, when, but then we also find out from the principal that McGrady never got the quarters. And apparently, Haney has his entourage of like three other teachers. I recognize as two of them. The Lady Rabbit is the assistant principal. I think her name is Miss Tingley. And then the second grade teacher, I just don't recognize the other rabbit with glasses on. Haney is a more gentle-spoken principal, and he tries to voice his, his understanding if Arthur accidentally brought the quarters home. But Buster can't keep his big mouth shut about the pinball record, because of, and because of that, Haney thinks that Arthur spent all of the fundraising money at the arcade. 
So Haney and Tingley read Arthur his rights, or rather his punishment, and Arthur is basically given a week of detention, and he's not allowed to go to the picnic the following day. Buster insists on helping Arthur find out who took the quarters, and starts by interviewing McGrady first. She tells him that there was a brownie mix spill, and that she had Mr. Morris, the great janitor, clean it up, and Mr. Morris corroborates with it. Buster also ends up interviewing D.W., which leads D.W. to think that Arthur buried money in the yard. He basically gets no other leads with the investigation, and it's sort of because his mom, and it's sort of because of his mom, and mostly his imagination, that Buster comes up with the idea that shape-shifting robots took the quarters. This isn't the theory that gets Arthur out of detention, but it's thanks to the brain's words that the case is broken. He hones in the, on the context from both McGrady and Morris that McGrady isn't a messy cook, and that this was among the few times that Morris was called to clean up a kitchen spill. Buster brings about the theory to Haney that McGrady had put the quarters in the brownie batter, thinking it was flour, and to that I ask, how in the love of spatulas would you make a would you mistake a bag of flour with a bag of quarters? I know she was busy making a crap ton of food for the entire school, but you'd think a bag of quarters would feel and look different compared to a bag of flour. It's because of that theory that the mystery is solved, and Arthur is exonerated at the last possible minute.